Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Sim O'Malley, May 8th. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL draft now that it's in the rearview mirror, thankfully. Um, but we're not so fortunate that we can <laughs> avoid mock drafts for 2018. So we'll uh, get into that a little bit. Uh, freshman class shows up next month now. Uh, so we can talk redshirt candidates. I've written a little bit about that and write a little bit more about that this week. And then also, um, we had some recruiting news on Saturday afternoon as I was trying to make simple serve for a mint julep when Kalen Gervin decommitted. <laughs> so that was fun too. But why don't why don't we do NFL draft stuff first just to get it out of the way? Deshaun Kaiser dropped to the second round. Not a huge surprise, even though on our other radio show we all were sure he was going in the first round because there are so many terrible first round. Picks at quarterback. You got, you're the ones the you guys yeah. didn't stick to. Yeah, yeah. Say, yeah. Always, always go with your first instinct there. Uh, and then you had to wait pretty much, I don't five, six full rounds to get to Isaac Rochelle with the LA Chargers at that point. Um, and that, that sounds was, like a made up team, too. And that was a wrap for the NFL draft. Um, Tim? Well, I mean, you know, other than, <laughs> yeah, and I was the one waiting to write that story, by the way. So. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you want to be a first-round draft choice. You want the guaranteed money. But I think when you add it all up for Deshaun Kaiser, he just wants an opportunity. He's got a great opportunity. He has to compete against Cody Kessler, Kevin Hogan, and Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler's star has um, fallen, I guess, since a couple of years ago when he signed a really lucrative contract. I mean, from, so from, from that standpoint, from the standpoint of, you know, uh, Working behind a veteran quarterback that's aging, that would probably be best for him in the long run. But in the short term, he's got a great opportunity. I'm not saying he's going to win a starting job with the Browns, but it's certainly an open position as he heads into all this. Just the name Brock Eisler there. One year ago, you'd be like, oh, one more Brock Eisler. You're not going to play. That's what's weird about – it goes back to recruiting, and it goes back to the NFL for rookies. Once you know guys aren't great, all of a sudden you just think – Brock Osweiler, he's terrible now. One year ago, you were like, that's a terrible place to go. Yeah. Brock Osweiler, you can't beat him out. We know the warts of those guys. We don't know Deshaun Kaiser's yet in the pros. We know them from college. Probably going to be the same. I think it'll be the same <laughs> if he has to play this year or next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the you can talk yourself into being a good fit in Cleveland because of the guys who are there. Uh, the problem is it's Cleveland. And they are well, quarterbacks go to die. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So that's, not, that's not changing. I'm not saying the Browns are going to be perpetually awful. But they're going to be bad for a long time. Like, they just don't have a whole lot of material. They did have a great draft. I mean, they really had to supplement what they were. They had a lot of high picks. Absolutely. Well, I think they had a very – no, I think they had had a top-level draft, yes, because they had a lot of high picks because of it. But that goes (laughs) hand-in-hand with – As much as we can know now, they had a top-level draft. I think you guys are on both – yeah, I mean, point. as yeah. you look at it now, certainly. Uh, you know, I, but again, great opportunity for him. We'll, 
I, he should beat out Kevin Hogan. You you would you would think, right? I mean, as far as Kevin Hogan was a real quality college quarterback, but he shouldn't be a better uh, pro quarterback than than Deshaun Kaiser. He led the game when he drove into Stanford. Both of them. Yeah, both of them. So a quality yeah. college quarterback, but he doesn't have the physical <laughs> skills that Deshaun Kaiser. Does. Kevin Hogan. You want to go down that road? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure I do. Um, and then Rochelle all the way to the seventh round. I guess it. I don't know if a team that went four and eight has ever had a great draft output because that would make things look worse than they actually already are. Um, I guess I was a little surprised that somebody else didn't sneak into the seventh round, but just in terms of what it says about Notre Dame football, where it was, what it had on the team, if James Onawalu and Cole Luke and Jerron Jones all went in the seventh round, I don't think I would look at the draft any different than I do based on just Kaiser, just Rochelle. I did a quick, I think, in my Monday Musings column on the draft last week. Whenever they have a low output in a draft, the next year inevitably bumps up. I mean, Ben Koyak was one, and then all of a sudden you have six back. There was, there was a couple instances in 99 and 2001 where you have one, and then all of a sudden there's more. It's just part of it's a sign of a young team. In this case, Will Fuller and Jalen Smith were in this draft class, so they went early. You know, you get, unfortunately, all those years that you have one and bumps up, the one is coming off of a subpar year for Notre Dame. There's no other way. Look, Ben Koyak was off the best team. And that was the 85-2014 team when they have one or two guys picked. And it's rare. We have, There's a long stretch between – and, Tim, I don't really understand why this happened. You probably remember. Or you could remember. The other – got to go all the way back from – now all these things happen, of course, after Holtz. All these examples, five or yeah. six examples are, are in the Davey, Willingham, Weiss, Kelly era. Back in 76, they had two yeah, guys yeah. drafted. And then in 77, they had nobody drafted. Right. And then in 78 and 79, they had about 20 players drafted. Yeah. But it's a strange – because those teams were good. But those are the only examples of any team, any good in Notre Dame history where guys don't get drafted yeah. off of them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jerron Jones didn't get drafted because of Jerron Jones. I mean, he certainly didn't impress anybody on the NFL level. What they're looking for in NFL-type attitudes, I'm sure that he didn't impress. Awalu had a – you know, I think when he came out of the All-Star games, I think he had a good chance. Then he ran a 4.75 and a 4.8. Well, you know, you're not going to get drafted at that point. You're going to get an opportunity in a camp. And Greg Gabriel said, you know, James Allen is going to be a guy that will be a difficult cut for somebody because of what he brings to the table, special teams. But when you're running 4.75s, you're not going to get drafted. Cole Luke, not even close to having the 40 time necessary to get drafted either. So there you are. Now, I want to talk to you, O'Malley. What's your prediction about Isaac Rochelle? Isaac Rochelle is a long time. No, 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 no. I said not, 10 not years. long time. Okay. Thank eight you. to ten years. Eight to ten. Well, I mean, if you know, if you tear your ACL twice, you're out. But I think I Isaac Rochelle is a good football player that will be around the NFL for longer than all I don't I mean like Scott Bailey could could be there longer yeah. than anybody, you know. But I think Isaac Rochelle's gonna play longer than Kaiser, longer than Luke, longer than all these players. Boy, I just can't agree with that. I lo- and I love I I love Isaac Rochelle. I love the I love the person. I, what he brought to Notre Dame was a physical, you know, point of attack guy. But I just I think, think physical point of attack is underrated going to help NFL teams. It doesn't mean you're making a Pro Bowl. It doesn't you mean you start to, for the Ravens. But you, know, you have it means to have a distinguishing characteristic to hang in the NFL for ten years. And I just I don't think he has a distinguishing characteristic on the NFL level. I, think the, I think the stopping the run is his distinguishing characteristic. I think holding the point of attack. I don't know that That's... he actually stops the run. I, those are two different yeah, things. Yeah, well, holding those the point of attack is things. a good thing to have, too. It is, but you can, but there are a lot of guys like that in the NFL. I, look, I hope I'm wrong, 
and I do think that Isaac Rochelle belongs in the NFL. He's, he's a great chemistry guy, and I hope he does. I just don't think that he has a distinguishing characteristic to allow him to last that long. Diamond doesn't player in the NFL. By the way, um, we're talking about... <laughs> Try to get to the point. Wait, no, I mean, was like, great, I, great guy, but I mean, how many 6'5", 280-pound, really strong, good run stopper that's what in, I, that's a, what I in a pass-first league, how many jobs are there for those guys? There's, I think there's a, a good three-year career for Isaac Rochelle. But he'll be so as, like, replaceable three years from and now. And there will be the next that, guy. That, well, that, I don't think he's playing on the ramp. I don't know. I think he's playing the Chargers for. He's not playing the Rams for ten. No, I don't think he's going to play in the Chargers for ten years. I'm saying he's an NFL player before injuries. I mean, injuries determine everyone's. You say, are you going to bet he's going to play eight to ten years? You can't. Well, I assume let me just say that when it got to the seventh round, and he hadn't been picked yet. I I wanted I wanted to text. You don't need to be a draft. This is that's the thing. This is the best players how go many, in the first round. But the, if you <laughs> how many seventh round slash free agents? Last ten years, I don't know, but I mean, how many first round picks last ten years? More than seventh round, yeah. More than seventh round free agents, yeah. You think? I you know how many more free agents there are than first round picks? Well, that's a good. Point. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But if you look okay, at the, if you numbers, look at the, it was the Super Bowl. When, yeah, that's why when you go to the Super Bowl and they say there are five five stars and seventy three stars, it's because they've been weeded out over time. But in the first round of the NFL draft, as Pete knows, it's a bunch of five stars going. I just but the NFL say. is not made up of five star players. I just want to say total, total respect for the, the person and the Notre Dame man that Isaac Rochelle is. Total respect. Just don't think that he's got enough. He, I'll go back to my phrase. He does not have a distinguishing characteristic that allows you to hang in the league for that long. On a related note to these guys in this class, can you imagine when there's kind of a young team, the star was rising in 2014, we're leaving Tallahassee? That Cole Luke, Torian Fulston, Corey Robinson, and Steve Elmer wouldn't be drafted. Well, it goes back to remember I made the ridiculous prediction Nordic would have twenty draft picks in two years. <laughs> it, it goes back to all of those people, Jerron Jones. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to there. There were seven or eight guys that at that point Elijah Shoemaker, what he brought physically, Corey Robinson, what he. We well, listened to Quara and he didn't get drafted, but that was a mistake. As of now, he made yeah. a team. You know, yeah. you're on a team. Yeah. It's, but it's all those guys that. Made that prediction ridiculous, and I fully admit Everett that. Wilson again. was the guy you thought. We yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right? absolutely. Absolutely. Doug, it's a re- every year we have the same reminder that we sort of overvalue Notre Dame football players because we just see Notre Dame football players, and we spend like we live in a little bubble here, and we cover one team, and we don't get the notion that oh wait, Alabama had. Four first-round picks, three second-round picks, two third-round picks, a fourth-round pick. Ohio State had three first-round picks, two second-rounders, a third, and a seventh. Like Those teams, right. the, the, the football factory teams that are in the college football playoff are taking up half the draft. Uh, well, unless you're, unless you're picking for the Chicago Bears, yeah. <laughs> and then 40% of your draft picks <laughs> and free agents are non-FBS players. Right. Tune into our next podcast. Tim Priester bitches about the Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, that that's um, you know I build a whole team on. I actually I did. I meant to look up how many free, but I meant to look up how many of their free agents were non FBS. But four of their draft, four of their seven. I I, I should have looked it up. But uh, uh, like forty percent of the guys that they drafted or signed were non FBS, and that might not be the biggest problem with their draft. The biggest problem with their draft might be the FBS guys that they pick number two. <laughs> 
You know, I bet you some of these non FBS guys. To to me, that is just an absolutely ridiculous reach. A ridiculous reach for a player that has no accuracy on deep sideline passes. He throws them out of bounds. I know it's not relevant to the pro level, but Pete's tweet on the subject was good. He was third team all conference. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, he was the first. Second, second player picked overall, third team all conference. All right, should we move on to uh, next year's draft, or should we just go ahead and? Uh, <laughs> all right, next next year's draft, just for uh, I guess hilarity's sake. Um, there are a bunch of mock drafts out already. They're completely ridiculous. No, the way too early mock drafts. Yeah, that's what we call every if if it's way too early. Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then mock it. Mike McGlinchey, I've seen anywhere from. Number five overall, um, <laughs> on down to the first round. Quentin Nelson, I think pretty much you can lock him. Some team drafting between 20 and 25 is going to take Quentin Nelson next year. Like, the Pittsburgh Steelers will probably be drafting Quentin Nelson one way or the other. He'll be the best guard. I, yeah. I'm going to look at Quentin Nelson as the number one guard in the draft until we see otherwise or hear otherwise. Yeah. Would you agree? Sure. Then there you go. That's and a good spot was, for him to land. There was a mock draft on Fox Sports that had Jerry Tillery early second round, um, <laughs> which is weird from multiple perspectives. One, Jerry Tillery leaving school early, and then if he did, going in the second round higher than Stefan Tewitt. So how about that? Let's let's think about that Why don't for a you moment. Name that? I think it's worth noting that you should name the outlet that made that pick. Uh, it was, yeah, it was Fox Sports, I believe. Yeah. Um, makes no sense. It's, it's just the weirdest thing. Yeah, I mean, it's up there with the Corey Robinson yeah, first round Yeah, he had a great game against Florida State. Yeah. <laughs> that everybody in the world saw. So yeah. That, that, this is weirder. <laughs> I don't know if that is because that one had Corey Robinson in the first round, but Will Fuller not, not, not the first round. <laughs> yeah, and regardless what he did against Florida State, at that point he was still a 4 6 8 40 guy. Yeah, I thought he'd get drafted back then as a yeah, sophomore catching touchdowns that's against part Florida of the point. State. But yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I, yeah, Quentin Nelson first round. I, I mean, well, let's just see Mike. Mike McGlinchey hasn't come close to playing his best football yet. So draftable players projecting as of now in our little bubble, Miles Morgan. Um, I, think, I, think, uh, I, 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 I think Greer Martini gets drafted. It's like the Anawalu thing. Later, Greer, right? I, that's the Anawalu. Size, quickness, absolutely. That's like my, I thought Anawalu <laughs> not, 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 not absolutely. I think Greer Martini can be drafted. Yes, he can be. He could be drafted, but I mean, James Onwalu could have been drafted. Yeah, that's, I yeah, thought but, he would have been but, too. until the forty. I thought he would have been. Yeah, yeah. he was the. Well, I like I like Martini's did. length and and his knowledge and his instincts and his quickness. They don't lose many guys, so we're not we're painting a grim picture, but it's because there's not many guys. The, be, the yeah. best draft picks potentially are St. Brown, Mack, and Josh yeah. Adams. Juniors. I mean, those Juniors. are probably the most talented. Of, Nelson. Nelson. Yeah, well, Nelson's yeah. a given. I think. Again, until yeah, yeah not I, otherwise. But. I think next year you'll see Notre Dame with McClinchy, Nelson, Morgan, Morgan, Equimini, St. Brown, Alize Mack. I think those are draft picks for off, off this year. Maybe roster. Adams. I don't, I don't know. Adams is like running backs. I like Adams a lot as a college running back, but when you watch guys that are getting drafted, I mean, when. Um, Dalvin Cook sliding down. Yeah, like, those, those guys weird. are great players. I, I, I just think I, we didn't see Adams healthy last year. I think the 25-yard run at the beginning of the Blue Gold game, that's Josh Adams. That's that's when when he makes a jump cut and the, the defender whiffs and he runs through tackles of three quality 
defensive players for now. That's Josh Adams. If he can play at that, you know, if he can be healthy and play at that level, um, you know, he, he and he wants to come out, he could be drafted. But the guy that, that you know, when you mentioned Delvin Cook, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's a cut. That's a cut above. I agree. Yeah, I mean, Samaje Purine was a seventh round pick. Um, Dante Foreman from Texas, third round pick. Wayne Gallman was pretty good at Clemson, fourth round pick. Those are those are those are clear draft picks, though. Like Josh Adams, if he has a if that his best career season, he'll get drafted. I would think, barring an injury in there, because he's had a knee surgery before in the past. Yeah, I mean Elijah Hood was in the seventh round. Yeah, that's crazy too. But Hood and P Ryan lack. I mean, their forty time is going to hurts them in a draft situation. It's a Adams it will, is a devalue. Adams will post a quality forty time. Yeah. I just I look at Josh Adams and think he what he's gonna have a decision to make whether he stays or goes. That'd be good for Notre Dame if he did, because that means the ground game was excellent. Right. Um, right. But I don't I don't look at him physically and think that's that guy has like the NFL quickness <laughs> that you need at that position. I think rumbling in forward and uh, the jump cut, like you said, where he stops and starts, like, that's pretty good. Because I think subscribers are wondering about this, how good of a year do you guys think Mac has to have to go? Because I think people right now are thinking... 38 catches. That's what I'm, I'm just saying. I just think he has to flash and he'll go. Yeah, I, I think he could have a... Where Adams has to have a great year. A Corey Robinson, Florida State, one game could be enough. That's um, why I bring it up. Because people are probably wondering why we're talking about him going pro right yeah, now before I think about it so this, this is why we're talking about well, he's physically, he's got yeah, everything. I mean, he's I mean, just, it's obvious physically, yeah. he's extremely gifted. If he were to have a, if he were to have a fifty, you know, I hate putting numbers on it, but if he were to have a fifty-six catch season, and I don't know the other tight ends out there. I mean, you look at him physically, the way he would test, he might be the number one tight end in the country. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that his production next year is going to have much to do with anything. You know, he could he could have twenty-two catches. True, with tight ends that that yeah, you're absolutely right because it's just it, you. And I think well, they'll be six and six if he has twenty-two catches. So let's not. That's progress. They're looking for your potential, not for your production. Sure, that's true. Um, that's and Alex Mack is one hundred percent potential right now, and there there's a lot of it. All right, let's get out of the NFL draft at least <laughs> for a few more podcasts. Not mention mock drafts moving forward. Uh, freshman class shows up next month. I wrote about the offense last week, defense today. And you sort of look at the red shirts, and I, I think it's we. This is another thing I think we spend too much time in a vacuum on. You can figure, you can basically figure out who's going to redshirt, who's not, by looking at how Kelly deals with red shirts in previous classes. Um, and I think there are, there are some interesting positions where there are guys on the fence. Like, do you play C.J. Holmes if healthy? Um, do you play Jafar Armstrong and Mike Young at positions where you have really a, a I don't want to say overwhelming amount of depth, but you, get a lot. you would be playing your 10th and 11th receiver. Um, on the defensive line, how many of those five guys do you play? Certainly Darnell Yule, but could you redshirt the other four? Um, I, and I think in the secondary, Isaiah Robertson is going to play for sure, but they've redshirted safeties in the past, so that would lead you to believe that Jordan Denmark, he probably would be one of those guys. So, I mean, when you look at this, how many how many freshmen do you expect to actually play next year? I'm not sure that they have the luxury of, of uh, sitting Myron Tagovailoa. Yeah, I'm not sure that they have that luxury. I think athletically, Owusu-Koromoa and Denmark Heath 
are on special teams. I, I, I mean, I think they bring too much to the equation not to have them on special teams. I think it's an all-time Kelly or a low, though. Ten is the lowest number, right? Tied twice. Is it? Um, it's never hit below ten, is it? I think they've, they've always played at least half. I'm looking at six to seven, unless things go wrong. And I, I did two defensive linemen because I figured, what well, you're right, you're going to need another one yeah. to help you out. I don't think you have to play all three. I don't think you have to play Heinish. I mean, well, he might be the better guy to play. He might be. Yeah. But he, but two he, out of three, then, but is what we're saying. He probably isn't ready for well, that. Cormo gets in on special teams somehow. Right. Way. And that's where I think Ed Markeith does, yeah, too. He could, that was my seventh. But he's a little bit in. older coming out of high school, so. You're not mm-hmm. playing the prospects mm-hmm. of DE. You know, you're not playing McAllister or Wardlow, obviously, yet. No. Um, I, maybe Drew White gets in on special teams. And maybe. Uh, kind of put him in the category yeah. of Brock Wright will play. Brock Wright will play. Yeah, gonna, redshirt Brock Wright. There's no point. He'll, you won't get a fifth right. year. You, you, yeah, I don't know how much he actually plays yeah. a tight but end, but play. you do play him. Um, uh, Tyler Tua played as a true freshman. You know, right. you got to get Brock Wright right. out there. Uh, Holmes, the thing with Holmes is, if, if no one gets hurt, I mean, really hurt, if running backs get hurt, you don't, you don't need to. Um, but if he's that good of a return man, if he can help your team... I mean, he's your second best return man. You can get him out there. Too, we just right? don't know. We didn't get a yeah. chance to see him all spring. He was injured. They got a legit third running back. David yeah. Adams, red shirt. Red shirt, right? Yeah, I think both linebackers will red shirt. I just, you think I, I special teams type thing? Because you, you know that they you not can, if you're also playing Owusu Karboa and Dan Marquis. That's a good point. Like, at that point, you don't need to play Drew White as well. Because I think, and that's a you mentioned know, they need help tackling on special. They teams, do though. need help tackling on special teams, um, but I think you don't need to play. Four freshmen on special teams, just on defense. You you sign four right. guys in the back seven on defense. You don't need to play all four of them. If if that's what you need to do to save your special teams, get some problems. And no, I, I don't think all, things but, are that bad. But the personnel that Polian has worked with special teams this spring, he's looking for more talent. Yeah, he's definitely looking for defensive guys who want to hit. Um, Jonathan so. Jonathan Dorr, if he's the best kickoff man, will play. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because you don't need. That's right. You recruit another kicker in three years. So you don't need to give up a guy for. Yeah, five. Of there's, yeah, there's no question about that. I, I have a hunch that Young and Armstrong will play. It's just, um, and with team coming in too, in the same so way that numbers. in the same way that like Toma played and Daniel Smith played. McKinley played last year on special. Teams. Yeah, how does Armstrong get in the rotation of receiver? I can see special teams. Yeah. That's, That's what, what he's what he will do. Think. Um, I think that he'll play a very limited role, but it's like, I think overall, the, it seems like this is another thing every year where you're like, ah, I think it looks like they're going to maybe redshirt a little bit more than they have in the past, and then the season comes and goes, and you're like, wow, they played two-thirds of those and guys. You know, you know what happens? We go to Culver the first day, and you come away already thinking, okay, that guy's not going to play. Right. And you hear two weeks later that he's had a good camp, and... Yeah. And, yeah, but it's funny how you can just see a practice or two, and you see where they are. You can you can you can put it on paper, but you have to see them on the field and and see where they fit. Mm-hmm. I think to have a much more educated opinion. Holmes is an interesting case because they read, they Richard Tony Jones Jr. who they loved. They Richard and Greg Bryant. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some that's some talent. Yeah, Richard right yeah. back right there. Yeah, I mean Bryant was a medical. Yeah, that's true. They tried to get him in. You're right. He, he was, they put him in. But, but Jones was a really unique case. And I mean, if, if I'm and if Richard, him, I would Richard C.J. Holmes for sure. You don't need to play him. And he's got a bad shoulder. Like, yeah. 
take the year to get that right. Because next year, you know, we'll go back to the draft stuff. Josh Adams could be gone. You know, Dexter Williams. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. With him. Well, you know well, what? There's no such thing as though a good fifth year running back. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You're you're you're. Absolutely That's what I mean. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, but like, it's just he's, they don't. There's a, well, Holmes will not. I you're saying protect your shoulder if you have to. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. you're you're maybe better off getting him all the way healthy. With the shoulder, because you don't need to play. Here's the thing: I mean, by not practicing more, right, we're playing word games here. I think he'll be, I, he'll be 100 healthy, mm-hmm. but he won't be 100 physically strong because of all the time that he's missing now. Yeah, I agree. I that's a, I think sort of a lost concept on a lot of people, and we don't. Yeah, the shoulder will be healed because they say they're cleared. We get right. He's the cleared to play. Doesn't mean, doesn't think play about think about what he's lost in Bayless's. Program, <laughs> he's lost a lot. Yeah, no question. Um, do we have anything else for segment one? Oh, yeah, the decommitment. Um, <laughs> Kalen Gervin, a four-star corner out of Cast Tech in Detroit, decommitted from Notre Dame on Saturday. I've sort of dug into this a little bit. Um, Gervin has sort of talked about how Notre Dame didn't show a lot of attention to him, which is inaccurate. Um, Notre Dame visited him the first week of the spring evaluation period. They were going to go see him the last week of the spring evaluation period. By rule, you can only visit two times during the spring evaluation period, so it wouldn't make a lot of sense to visit a kid week one and week two. Um, I'm not sure how aware Gervin is of that, but um, I think if it gets down to it, Notre Dame has not recruited Cast Tech really ever. Um, they have not recruited Detroit publicly since Jerome Bettis, basically. It's uh, not out of the realm of possibility that a kid with really no profile fits in Notre Dame at all would visit some other schools on a spring bus tour, which he did, and think, yeah, that uh, place is actually a lot different than what I expected as I, as I go to these other places and see programs where I've had former teammates play, and Notre Dame is uh, a little bit of an outlier there. Well, anyway, you look at it, it's a, it's, it's a huge loss. And I did a film review today on Kyler Gordon, and he's a really good player. I mean, I, I think he's every bit as good as Kalen Gervin, but that's not the point. The one is not replacing the other. First of all, I think Gervin's a, a field corner and Gordon's a, a, a boundary corner. So, I mean, they're, they're probably two different positions anyway. The one doesn't replace the other. Now, as a, as a package... And they don't have any of them right now. They don't have, right. As a duo, that would—I mean—that would have been a really, really good duo in in the same realm as Adebo and and Hicks. They're not here either, no. by the way. <laughs> so, so now I'm talking about four corners, none of which are committed to coming to Notre Dame. Um, They've—I mean, Pete, they, you can speak to this better than I. I mean, yeah. they've got work to do. They had three guys that came from the Blue Gold game that haven't been offered a scholarship. There's a reason why they haven't been offered a scholarship. There's no clear group right now, and it's nine months from signing day. There is time to get all that straightened out, but you're you're probably not going to get in on a corner as good as Gervin was, and I sure hope they get Gordon because I really like him, but they've got a lot of work to do. At cornerback, defensive end, and defensive tackle, and safety, you only don't need Kalen Gervin when you have three Kalen Gervins. The only time you don't need him. Until then, you need more. You need always need more. You got some Ohio State yeah, stats. Yeah. Well, you know who's better than Julian Love? Julian Love, Troy Pride, and Dante Vaughn, and Sean Crawford. <laughs> Doesn't mean they're all better. It means you have got you need more players at those positions. Yeah, they just they don't have enough quality bodies there. And I mean, 
someone on our message board noted it was like, well, this is fine. They, that's why they have love, pride, and, and bond. And that's, it's a good thing that they have them because if they didn't have them, then what would you be saying? Well, it's okay. We have uh, Sean Crawford and Nick Watkins. Like, Notre Dame's still going to play football in 2019 and beyond. So you have to replace those guys. And what you see other schools do, notably Ohio State, they signed five defensive backs last year, two five-stars, three four-stars. They've got three defensive backs committed this year, three four-stars. In that time, Notre Dame has gotten Jordan Gemmar Keith, Isaiah Robertson, and a commitment from Derek Allen. No corners. Um, they need to sign at least three corners in this class. And I think if you, if you get too carried away or in the weeds with Kate or um, Caleb Gervin and just how good he is, I get that. Like, you can get a little bit too into that aspect. The one player. The problem is last year and then what you have this year. If you had, if, if Notre Dame was sitting there with Kyler Gordon, Houston Griffith committed, and they picked up DJ Johnson out of Indianapolis, who they offered last week. He's a four-star on scout, but more of a, a mid-level Big Ten prospect in terms of his offers. If they had all those guys committed and Caleb Gervin decommitted, it would mean something completely different because you would take the most important thing off the table. That's the fact that you don't have any depth for the long haul. This is the most important position in the class, and we're going to be sitting here on May 8th with zero commitment. So it's, um, it's just a really difficult position for Notre Dame to be in. Ohio State has more quarters drafted in the first two rounds than Notre Dame signs. They had three first-round <laughs> picks in the secondary. Oh, did they, were they and, three? Yeah, and I think well, last year they had three. Two, the two of our more one-year starters, and one yeah. guy barely ever played because he was injured. And last time. year they had three secondary picks in the first 60 players. Yeah. So, so they so, can with one guy. Ohio State and Notre Dame are in different planes. Yeah, and it's like this. That's where Notre Dame needs to get. They they need to be signing Gervin to go with Griffith to go with Gordon, and then also DJ Johnson as well, and then Derek Allen at the back end and secondary. Wouldn't you? I mean, there are names that we don't even know yet that are going to be on their cornerback list. Probably so. In the same way that this year, we, this time last year, we weren't talking about Kofi Wardlow or Jordan Gemar Keith, um, Byron Tagovailoa-Mosa, and, and all that is fine. I think some of those guys could be really good players. The issue is, at this time a few years ago, we all know who Will Fuller and Jalen Smith were, and they turned them out to yeah. to be great. Um, so you you got to be able to hit on more of your A-list guys. Notre Dame is in a, I think, overall, they've recruited very well this cycle, especially coming off 4-8 and, and completely new coaching staff. But quarterback is quarterback, and they're, they're just in a rough spot. All right. Have we hit everything in this extremely long first segment? I think so. Okay. We'll be back for segment two. Burning up the board, segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Irish Bob. In a recent AP interview, Brian Kelly said, I can't be honest with assessments of players to the media. How will this change what you are able to report or your working relationship with Kelly? This, of course, is in response to his comments about Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, I I don't know if it is in response to his comments about Deshaun Kaiser. I think it has more to do with his comments during the season last year where people were ripping him for throwing people under the bus. Yeah. I, mean, I think that was yeah. what stuck with him or stuck with somebody around Notre Dame. Um, it's it's unfortunate because I don't think anyone in the local press is 
ripping him for, oh, you really threw... I mean, even, even That's a Sam Mustafer, really. um, NC State, like, we talked about that on our podcast for sure, and, like, that's not, I don't think that was a productive way to deal with it, but I think we also acknowledged it's, he's the head coach, like, he can do whatever the hell he wants to do. Um, I think it was more Paul Feinbaum saying that Brian Kelly is a, a miserable human being or a terrible human being or just a bad guy or whatever he said. We well, said that last fall, though. Yeah, that, and I think that's that's where Kelly's comments to Ralph Russo of the AP come from because it it's not productive for his the perception of the program of Brian Kelly to have that out there. Unfortunately, it kind of makes your assessments the assessments you get from him on players even less reliable than they already are. I, mean, <laughs> I think I think we all we all know when he gives a commentary on players. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's the truth. Sometimes it's motivational for yes, the player. Often. Sometimes it's motivational for somebody else. And I think sometimes he just, that's just what he felt that day. Um, so, but now it's like, if he's going to eliminate critiques, if he's going to eliminate any kind of criticism, then, then, then you're, you're, you're missing out another element there that is at least helpful because you, you do feel like when he's going to give you a critique, it's at least interesting because it's either he's trying to motivate that player or it's the truth or, you know, he's just trying to, like, spur up maybe an assistant coach or a position group to, to be a little bit better. He gives some very good player critiques over the course of a year. You're not going to get one on a Tuesday national press conference game week. Uh, he does a pretty good job on Thursdays before games where it's kind of a looser media yeah, session. really good. Yeah. Uh, the, some of the assistants have been outstanding in the past. Bob Elliott and uh, Bob Diaco one day broke down the roster for all of us when now they were there undefeated in number five of the country or whatever uh, in a bye week. But, but, but now we're hearing assistant coaches that uh, Mike Elko does not like to talk about any individuals. That might not, uh, yeah, that might not continue because he, well, first of all, we're going to talk about August and then not again until next spring, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> But, yeah, yeah, it's invaluable to get coaches breaking down the players because when they're honest about it, and even if they're semi-honest, like as you said, sometimes it's motivational. But that there's a reason the motivation is there. We can read between the lines that no, he's trying to motivate this guy. Yeah, I, I think it was really important when Miles Morgan couldn't get on the field that in his sophomore year, when you assumed he would share some time with Joe Schmidt in 2015, that Brian Kelly kept talking about how dedicated he is to being a football player and how tough he is. Because then... You kind of you know he's not in any trouble. <laughs> That's not why he's not getting on the field. So if he's not going to give any critiques and it's all going to be positive, I don't believe that's what's going to happen. I think this is a soundbite for the national media, and I think he'll be like that on media day on August sixth because it doesn't matter. He might yeah. not name a player's name, you know. But I think as time goes on, he's just a guy that likes to talk about his players to the media in a setting where it works out better. I think there will be times where he's guarded about what he yeah. says, and there will be other times where he lets his guard down and says something. And post-game losses. Now, I know people don't hear this, but post-game yeah. loss, you're going to get critiques. Post-game wins, he's probably not going to bother. Now, he let, yeah, I mean, he let his emotions get the best of him after Michigan State and Duke. I mean, he, 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 yeah. he, yeah. he clearly did. Well, I the, first the, time, <laughs> the first time he, he, he took blame with the coaching staff, the second time, he did. He did put it on the players. Yeah, right too. And he, I, you I can't mean, lose to Duke. I don't care what you throw out there. No, no. I, he, I don't. I'm not saying he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, he was accurate. He and was I know correct. we're gonna get mad, and it's his fault too. But look, man, I mean, it's not his fault. Guys can't tackle in the fourth quarter at all. Right? Not all his fault. 
Devin no, Sucks. Still, I don't. I don't mean for one guy. Yeah, he made a very it's bad his play. It's fault one that play. he's got a defensive coordinator sure. that's not teaching him well enough. Yeah, yeah. There, it, oh, it trickles downhill, but it, there were some players at fault last year too. Well, no, I mean, yes. there's there's it's, no doubt about. It. I don't be know, I'm a little team. tired of I'm a little <laughs> yeah. tired of the phrase throwing under the bus yeah. because look, we're all big boys. They're getting paid a lot. The players are getting free educations. They should get more. I get, they get that. So you're fine with the praise I, they I get, get, right? Make one right. play when the ball's tipped in the air and you intercept it. You can't be all you're all over. But the we're court. on the we're on the other side of the fence of you know we're journalists, so we want that critique. We need that critique. It's right. honest. It's a Basically. sport where one team wins and loses. Something went wrong. Yeah. Our job yeah. is to try to give you an accurate depiction of what's going on. Around and we the need program. those quotes to do it. Yeah, you at least need to feel like you're getting some bit of honesty out of it. You know, but as O'Malley mentioned, like when he gets up there and praises a guy who's redshirting as like a future pro, we know that's not really what he means. We know what he means is he's trying to give that guy a bone when he's going through a very difficult year right. of redshirt. And he likes the player. And he likes the guy. Um, we, we get that. He's not saying that Alex Bars is the next coming of Jonathan Ogden. Um, but he's saying when Alex Bars is redshirting, you know, I really like this guy. He's trying hard. He's, he's going to be a player. Yeah, but what did he road. say? He said more than that. He said he's the best tackle prospect in the last 25 yeah, years. That's, that's more than Jonathan Ogden. That's, 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 that's what you just said. That's it's like much. me saying yeah. that Rochelle will be a 10-year pro. He's trying to motivate the guy. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Having said that, Bars should play in the NFL or has a good chance playing in the NFL. And, the, and the, what you're referring to, Pete, last year, Eichenberg, and near the end of the It was in November, correct? When he yeah, showered he him where he wants. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Showered him with praise. Uh, and he can play in the NFL as well. Yeah, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's a good point. He's not talking about bad players in that regard either. You're not saying no. your third tight end that you don't think is ever going to play is the best backup tight end you've ever seen in your life. You don't say those things. He talks about the guys that have a chance to help his team, like Bars, Kramer, Eichenberg, uh, Elmer. Remember Elmer was a 10-year NFL tackle yeah. along the line too? It's the guys that are really good players that you're trying to keep motivated to be great. But you got to read between the lines a little if you're a fan, too. And when he said that about Elmer, I thought, no, nope, he's a guard. <laughs> Golden by name, what's the most awkward interview moment you've had with a coach who's not named John Tenuta since you've been in this profession? Well, geez, I don't know, Tim. What What's the most awkward interview moment you've had? I bet it's with the same guy on the same subject. I'm going to go ahead and say it was at the National Championship uh, meeting day with Bob Yacht when we talked about breastfeeding. <laughs> that good? Do you think that's the one? Well, it's interesting. You, oh, wait, you brought it up to him? No, no, no. no. Yeah. He asked me if my wife was a breastfeeder using formula. But he uh, congratulated. It was very nice that he remembered. I had no idea how he knew that we had a baby there. But very nice opening, and then it got really strange. Can it get any more awkward? It can't yeah. get any more awkward than that. Well, no, I mean, because this is I have the same answer with Bob Diaco about breastfeeding at the media day. But it was a... Uh, uh, a local media day, not the BCS media day. We were alone, sadly, but I do have But we were alone sitting next to each other in a cramped Sun Life Stadium where you can't turn without like being too close talking to the dude. You didn't want to look him in the eye after <laughs> I couldn't decide if I wanted more people there or if I was glad there was nobody else there. So oh, I was in the elevator coming down from Notre Dame's old press box. It was just me, Bob Giacco, and Bob Elliott talking about the calories in breast milk versus formula. Well, he is a self-proclaimed foodie, so I guess that kind of qualified, right? Oh. Yes. <laughs> Holy cow. Did Gold's My Name know that answer was coming when you wrote that question? I don't think so. I you know it was awkward, so. Tim. 
is the infamous Corin Brown incident. I, I have that. I okay, have you, that. You, yeah, you so you have that one. written down. I have a twenty-year-old son, so I, you know, Bobbyaco said nothing to me about breastfeeding. Um, <laughs> Give it time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not having any more babies. I'm sure. Uh, Corin Brown going off about Navy. Yeah, that was. You asked him a question about skiing, right? <laughs> you said because I, I have this on tape still. We should play this somehow. But Tim said I have a technical question to ask you, and Corin this is after the Navy loss in '09. And Cor- this is the beginning of the end, too. And uh, Corin Brown said, I have a technical answer to your technical question. And I thought he was just going to go off on you for something he wrote, probably. <laughs> Turns out, he just uses a platform to go at Coach Niamatololo and Navy's uh, approach, right? Yeah, but it was a cut blocking, yeah, and that, yeah. that was a big part of it. It totally caught us, caught us off guard. And I want to say that for, for journalists, usually when it's an uncomfortable situation, as it's happening... Inside, you're saying this is awesome because I'm about to get something that you didn't you didn't expect, and that was certainly one of them. I, I have uh, Bishop Harris, who came in from LSU, who was under suspicion of selling tickets. Uh, this was a one-on-one, so this was a this was an uncomfortable one-on-one situation in his office. I don't know, 27, 30 years ago. Joe Moore interviews could be very. Um, uncomfortable because he made them that way. It took a while to learn how to press the right buttons with him. And then he became a great interview force. Buzz Preston, when Tyrone Willingham was fired, and this was in the day when you could, Hey, walk over the Northern football office and see if anybody was in their office. And Buzz Preston <laughs> you was. Still do that? Just walk up and no, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Buzz Preston went off on Notre Dame and the firings and what impact. It was one of the greatest stories I got. I just stumbled upon it. By, by driving on an ordain. Bill Dietrich, when he noticed that I oh. noticed, when he noticed that I noticed there was an ordain wide receiver that was injured and wasn't going to play in the inside bowl. Okay. Yeah. That yeah, mattered. And I could hear him speaking poorly of me from a distance, it wasn't knowing the, that I was about to write something they didn't want revealed. Yeah. Oh, because it was an open practice. Yeah. The bowl games were it was open. like the last practice before. They were done. Their goose was cooked, right? What do you mean? There was, wasn't he fired? Uh, or yeah. was it before the Gator? No, uh, no. I'm not sure which bowl it was now. Was it Insight? I mean, it was Insight or Gator. It was one of two options. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I could hear my name. There being. were a lot of awkward <laughs> yeah. interviews with Bill Dieter. Yeah, it got bad. It got really bad at the end because he absolutely did not want to be interviewed and the and, and he knew, yeah, the offense was bad. He knew that bad things were about to happen to the whole staff at the end of the year. So there have been a few. <laughs> yeah, been a few. yeah. But again, uncomfortable many times is, well, Brian Kelly talking about his guys and uh, their cool. guys and two before USC. The last ever Thursday night interview where we're all standing around a circle with the coach. That it, was, was it was absolutely the last. It, yeah. You know, it became much more formalized after that. Harrison Smith had the best comment about that. What he was, was that? a captain. And we asked him how he found out. He said, I don't, and he said this <laughs> improperly with the grammar, I don't Twitter. That's so why I he said, out, I don't have a Twitter. I don't, I don't have a Twitter or I don't Twitter. So I found out the old-fashioned way by text. Yeah. But not the old-fashioned either. <laughs> so that, but that, just to think about that, that's how some of the best players on that team found out about those comments. Then they went on a huge run and won like uh 14 of the next 16 days. Yeah, it'd be one semi-decent team during the process. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wash ND. 
Do you think we'll see the move of Julian Love to safety if Sean Crawford is indeed healthy at the outset of fall camp? I mean, situationally, right? Yeah, because they're five deep at corner if he's healthy and zero deep at safety. Why not just do it? Yeah. Forget situation. What if he's why healthy? not just because, do it? because you need because you need because Crawford's your nickel and you need your two starting corners. I, if they're if they were comfortable enough to say Vaughn and Pride can go in and play and they're interchangeable, well, that'd be one thing. Coming out of the spring, those guys aren't interchangeable, not yet, and I'm not sure that they will be. I mean, so you're let's say Crawford's healthy, and on one side you've got Watkins with Vaughn backing him up, and on the other side you've got. Crawford with Pride. Pride backing him up. Pride has to be the starting corner in the nickel there, though. Because Crawford has to switch into nickel. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You're, that's what Tim's saying. You have to have Pride or Ron be a good enough starting there corner. There are five starting spots in the secondary, not four. Right. But I'm saying, wouldn't you rather get your best guys out there? He's saying, is Pride good enough to do that? Or are you just weakening yes. it too much? I, well, I, okay. I don't think they think that coming Who's, out of the spring. Who... All right. You don't need got No, I'm, I'm just arguing there's zero deep at safety, so Crawford, I understand the point of the question. Crawford, you can move him. Pride, Love, Vaughn, Watkins, Coleman, who, one through six, wouldn't Coleman be six? Yes, for me. So, but I don't know for them. Maybe Vaughn with the back spasms. I don't think for them. And not getting through practices all spring. That's not, not every practice, but yeah. I have trouble. Julie Love is going to play some safety. Yeah, yes. Will he be a full-time safety? I don't think that will happen. Will he play safety for Notre Dame this fall? I think that that, that he will. Yes, to me, that's that's good enough. I, you know, I trust what Mike Elko chooses is best for their secondary. And if if it's just using Love at safety situationally, I'm comfortable with that. So Love and, and Pete's in your scenario, Love is in instead of Jalen Elliott, right? As the no. Free safety. He's in instead of Nick Coleman? Yes. Okay. I'm not sure that the coaching staff looks at it that way. Well, they definitely don't, based on the <laughs> <his own practice. laughs> No, I mean that, that, no, I mean yeah. that, that, that Elliott is ahead in the pecking order of Coleman. Uh, I think Elliott's going to be a good safety. I really do. But I'm yeah. not sure that they look at, at him as being ahead of Coleman in the pecking order right now. I just sort of look at the cornerback and the safety group, and I think Julian Love is – Probably your best corner with Crawford's injuries. He has to be, but I also think he's your best safety. He would be your best safety. I think your best safety too. So he's your best defensive back. Yeah, period. Yeah, and you just got you've got much more material at corner than you do at safety. I trust whatever Mike Elko determines, and if that means moving him to safety full time, then that's the right move. If it means using situationally, then that's the right move. I think the key here is if Crawford's healthy, they're just better. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if you keep him at love at corner for every snap. They're just better if Sean Crawford's your healthy nickel. You just said, Pete, he's their best corner. So you're not going to let him play corner at all? Uh, I'm not. Best safety. You're not going to let him play safety? <laughs> no, but cor- I mean, corner, man-to-man coverage, press coverage, that's pretty important too. Yeah, but I think you've got four other corners, or at least three. I mean, if we're going to take Vaughn out for the back, just that's for fine. now. Yeah, we so let's just eliminate I, Vaughn. If you just do Pride Watkins... And Crawford, healthy Crawford. That's a that's an if, big if. You were you were gone when Todd Light made comments to O'Malley about Pride and Vaughn. Yeah, they were behind. Uh, I always pictured them as Watkins and Love are the starters, and you're really not questioning that. However, Pride and Vaughn are right there. Yeah. It didn't sound like that. This is early spring. 
but it didn't sound like that with he mentioned light mentioned pride was behind because of track didn't get as much mm-hmm. conditioning in however there's plenty of time to make that up um and i thought pride looked good I but he's running track sprint. now I thought, oh, that's true. So he's yeah, not making, yeah. he's not making, he's um, not narrowing that gap And he said Vaughn was having trouble get, finishing a practice because of back spasms, yeah. uh, which we saw actually happen. We couldn't figure out why he was replacing the practice. But Vaughn played in the spring game. Obviously, he's, you, right. know, you can work through that. So I, they, maybe they have ground to make up. Um, this, that's an interesting question, though, because it's kind of like the moving of, you know, when people want to shift... Now the offensive Jay, lineman. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just like the offensive lineman. How right? do you get your five best on the field? Right. Well, we got three three tackles and two centers. Like, okay, what? How do you how do you make that work? So, who are the five best? I bet we see both here. Both scenarios. Love it, safety. Love it, corner. I mean, that's the most yeah, likely thing. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I would just have Julian Love on the field at all times. Yes, that will happen. <laughs> dip dip ninety eight. Who starts at right tackle in the season opener? Kramer, Eichenberg, or Bars? Related question. Who is starting there when the season ends? Kramer and Bars. That's what I say in order. Kramer starts the opener. Bars starts when the season ends. And it's the same issue they made the mistake of when uh, Steve Almer was starting. Then why not correct? Because they corrected them either. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, that's why I don't think they'll correct it. No, I trust Harry Hastings more than you. I do. Harry no, Hastings is the one that did correct the first time. Right. I trust him more that's, than me see, too. That's, but that's the point. That's, that's the, the point. That Elmer, Elmer was never really a great tackle prospect, but he was a really, really good guard prospect. And I think the same is true of Kramer. But I've said this a million times. So I think your scenario is correct. That Kramer starts a right tackle and bars ends the season. And I don't think that's a great thing either. It doesn't usually happen when you're winning. Although, to be fair, you know what it did that year when they had to move. They were winning that September when Kramer moved inside. They were undefeated. Right. And so, yeah, got, that's, and that's, the offensive line got better because of it. As long as that happens when they're undefeated, it's a good deal. <laughs> yeah, my only prediction is they'll start more than one right tackle this year. ND yep. fan forever. Given the Kaylin Gervin decommit, what is your evaluation on Todd Light as a coach and recruiter? Pete, you answer that question. I first. mean, I, I wouldn't put any. I wouldn't suddenly offer an evaluation of Todd Light after. Yeah. A, High school junior from a school that never projects well right. to Notre Dame <laughs> decides that maybe he doesn't want to, you know, fit into that kind of Catholic institution with high academics. I think that'd be ridiculous. Um, but, but I do think that it's kind of hard to get a read on Todd Light as a coach and a recruiter right now because obviously recruiting was not good last cycle. It was good two years ago, which he had a, which he had a huge hand in. Um, yeah, he brought in all these guys we're talking about. Yeah, as, pride, love, and fun situation. As a coach, it's kind of hard to say because it's a, a change in scheme. He was pretty much left to coach the secondary his first two years as a very inexperienced college position coach. I didn't think that was a real fair ask no. for him. And this was something I asked Brian Kelly about down at um, the Fiesta Bowl. It's like, what do you think of Todd Light a year into it? And he's like, you know what? We knew this was going to be a learning year for him, and it was. Um, he felt like they were getting more out of him as a recruiter than maybe they expected. That was the Love Vaughn Pride class. I would have to agree. That was also Stud Still, uh, Elliot. I mean, it, just throw in Perry and Morgan. They had seven defensive backs yeah. that cycle. Um, but I, 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 my answer to this question is I'm really – excited slash curious, but definitely optimistic about where things are going to go with Todd Light when paired with Mike Elko. That's sort of my opinion of Todd Light. I want to build off that because without Todd Light saying anything in that interview we referenced, 
Todd, it was pretty clear to me that there was not good communication between Brian Van Gorder and Todd Lake. He could Correct. not have been more, uh, I'll post the transcript of the whole interview, he could not have been more complimentary of the new situation with Mike Elko. He could not have been more complimentary of the new approach. He could not have been more complimentary about the new, the new, the new, the new, the new, compared to last year. Mm -hmm. He basically was the guy that started off the whole spring theme of everybody in the world talking about how bad things were all of a sudden last year. Without saying things were bad. So, to be fair to light, and this could be bias coming in, because I watched Todd Light growing up, and I think when we watch snippets of practice, I mean, I would, I would play for the guy the way he coaches, right? Yeah, He's a hard absolutely. coach. Yeah. Uh, he coaches them hard. But Todd Light, they got better last year, right? That's the corners. When he had to rehaul everything. He lost Sean Crawford. They had to bench Coleman. They lost, they, they knew they weren't going to have Nick Watkins, so that doesn't count. Um, but those corners got better as the season progressed when the defense changed. Uh, well, that, that's they were, were yeah. horrid. And then they became viable. Well, I, I mean, you have to, you can blame and give credit. I mean, Love, Vaughn, yeah. and Pride were all players last year, especially Love, so you got to give Light credit for that. Uh, Coleman didn't perform, okay? Um, Luke was good at times, not as good as I think we expected him to be as a senior, not as good as he was as a sophomore. Uh, and Crawford was on the rise, and he, and, he, and he got hurt. So, I mean, as far as on the field coaching, the only one there that didn't succeed was Coleman, and you can't blame or you can't blame everything on a coach. You can't give him all the credit either. I mean, Julian Love performed because Julian Love's a hell of a football player, but in assessing blame and credit, he was on the upside more than he was on the downside. This is his first year as the quarterbacks coach. That helps. He was a secondary coach. That's a little different. I don't know how. How does one guy coach an entire secondary? Two completely different positions. I don't know how you do that. I mean, think about early days uh, with Brian Kelly here where you had Kerry Cooks and Bob Elliott back there who both knew the defense that Bob Diaco, their good buddy, ran. And they both had a lot of college, a ton of college position coaching experience. And then you asked how I'd like to do that yeah. as a first-year coach. I I mean, I sort of look at it as we talk all the time about putting players in position to succeed. I don't think Todd Light was put in a great That's position to succeed. So it's like Todd Light is sort of asking Drew Tranquil to play safety. Like, well, that's kind of a tough ask. I think asking Drew Tranquil to play linebacker is a great idea. And I think asking Todd Light to just coach cornerbacks with Mike Elko coaching safeties is also a great idea. So I'm, I think there's there was enough at the end of last year to give you legitimate reason for optimism about where things are going at Todd Light, but you got you got to get there too. Yeah, um, you can't just assume that it, everything's going to work out. But I, I think there's a lot of lot of reasons to be intrigued and optimistic about where things are going. So we have a positive evaluation from what we. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the reaction when you when you lose, you know, a, a real valuable commitment and don't have commitments in the last. As well right, as yeah. and, I, and I'm not dry. saying, and I'm not, we're right. not saying that Todd Light doesn't deserve any quote blame for that, but to suddenly react and say the guy's no good, and we need to replace him, that's that. It's too small of a, a, a view of the big picture. Yeah. yeah, it gives a little too much uh, power to a 17-year-old. Irish Tuffer, what changes still need to be made in order to keep, make, and be competitive without losing Andy's character, meaning accepting guys who don't have a prayer graduating is not a legitimate change, this would go against Andy's character? You know, it's, this is, hmm, there are a bunch of things that I've, I've intrigued by, like, would morning practices be better? Uh, that's what they do, I believe, at Duke and Northwestern, where you get all your football out of the way before you go 
jump into a classroom where you're not breaking up your day. Is that, that feasible? No, is that feasible? Yeah, no, that, they do it in the spring. Yeah, it's like I think yeah, it's, you it's a first semester freshman issue in Notre Dame, right? You sort of have to work with like the office yeah. of like I don't know the provost or the schedule. I'm yeah. not sure the office of the registrar. Like you'd have to change a lot of things. Could it be helpful? Maybe would take a lot of work. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I, I I guess I've never been a huge fan or understanding why they some guys take max credit hours during the season. Um, you don't need to do that to graduate on time. Um, I don't know. It's I think in some ways Notre Dame would serve itself well to maybe not chase as many recruits that don't fit profile, um, which is totally hypocritical for me to say because I often compliment them for getting guys that don't fit profile. <laughs> like, well, they never get a guy from there. Like, whoa, he's four stars and runs a four four. Like, great. You gotta um, get guys that you gotta get some guys that don't fit yeah. profile because otherwise you're not good at football. I, I don't know. I, I just true. I just don't think there are a lot of great answers for this. Um, I think a lot. You know, I think a lot of the changes that you would like them to make have been made since the end of the disastrous four and eight season. Love the coaches that they brought in. The coordinators are, I mean, right? And we look their at first, all of those coordinators and say, that was a good choice. Mm-hmm. Their first bit of bad news since about Hicks and Adebo's decommitment was this weekend in the offseason. Nothing's really gone terribly wrong, right? Yeah, pretty much. So that's yeah. good. They had, a, they had a healthy spring. Yeah. They hired coaches people seem to like. They recruited They're well until this moment. Yeah, until that they, one decommit. I mean, yeah, they've got a strength and conditioning program that is absolutely heading in the right direction. We see the, that we see the progress that they've made. I, you know, I, I think there are a lot of positive things happening with the program, almost miraculously considering that what happened last fall. They have three tackle prospects with the best in the history of football. Think about it that way by listening. That's why you can't tell. The they don't have. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, not all the problems are solved on the field, certainly. I know. Yeah. A, lot of the, a lot of the big picture stuff, I think, of Kelly's eight years have been positive, whether that be the stadium renovations or, you know, a little bit more in the academic support department, which I think is happening. I think that department is, is run very well. Um, you know, I think in the recruiting department where they've done stuff more with graphics and cutting edge tech there, I think has been good. Um, I don't know. It's... They're, they're trying. Like I think that's kind of like I know you can't post that on a message board, but like I really think they're doing a good job. They're like doing everything that they can with like you know sports science and things like that. It's just it's just hard. Um, I think it's the difficult task of finding off-profile guys that will graduate that will likely graduate and getting them to come and stay another day, like Lewis Nix. Very tough. And there's and positions like that. Otherwise, you have on-profile guys that are chasing fast guys in the end zone. Yeah, that's what's the problem. That, I mean, that's what it comes down to. You have to go. You have to go outside profile a little bit for a guy that will be interested once he gets to Notre Dame or once he's involved you in Notre Dame to graduate from Notre you, Dame. You have to. And it's four and eight. That season shouldn't have happened. I, I can understand. I could understand seven and five last year. I might even be able to understand depending upon how some games went. Six and six. Four and eight shouldn't have happened. There was. I don't think you could have gone worse. I don't think you could have coached. I don't think a college football coach could have coached him down to three and nine. <laughs> That's how I look at last year. I don't think you could have coached him down to three and nine. Maybe. Because if I throw Duke in there, 
I know you beat Miami, right? Well, you, okay, you, could have, you could have lost to Miami, too, and you would have been 3-9. and You would have lost every damn close game you played. <laughs> so oh, there was what still that mean? No, I'm just saying, there was, <laughs> there was very little room to be yes. worse than you were. Right? Yes. It was very much the, like, people use Perfect Storm way too much. And completely out of context, but pretty much was one. Like, pretty much everything that went wrong went wrong last year. Um, which I don't know how we got off on this topic. It's the trying to get what more what more progressive steps can Notre Dame take within the character of being Notre Dame. I think there are a few of them, but I I don't They're taking tons of progressive steps. There are not a lot of stones that they haven't flipped over and rocks they haven't looked under. Like they are trying <laughs> They are really trying, and it's just—it's just hard. The trying Irish. It's—it's it's, yes. Oh no! It is just—it's hard. Um, all they can do is sort of keep pounding their head against the wall and hope they break through. But it's, you know, compared to—I think this was a conversation that I don't know if I had this on Twitter or a message board, but people want to know, like, well, when's Notre going to be like Ohio State and Alabama? As long as Nick Saban and Urban Meyer there, the answer is never. You need those programs to shift in some ways to catch up to them. You can, you can keep busting your butt with sports science and recruiting and graphics and stadium renovations and all that stuff. And Notre Dame does that. But what is going on at, at those programs when they're operating at peak efficiency? It's got more to do with the graphics. It's got way more to do with the graphics. So there's, only, there's just only so much you can do. All right, wrap us up, Pete, because wow, this is the world's a, longest podcast. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> uplifting uh, end to our, our May 8th podcast here. It's been so uplifting that I'm not even going to be here for our next podcast. When we return on May 15th, it will just be a Tim and Tim show then. Um, we'll have a recruiting insider podcast with me and Kevin between now and then. But uh, until May 15th, that will be our next Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening.